Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional, and those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. As many of you may already know, I have ADHD. It's something that has given me a unique lens into the world of employment in general and into human resources specifically. For me, it's easy to talk about having ADHD because I've just made the decision that this is who I am and I'm not going to be modified uh, into someone that I'm not, but that is not the case for everyone with ADHD. And in fact, many adults with ADHD have not even been diagnosed. Furthermore, the severity of the disorder varies widely from person to person and is managed in very different ways as well from person to person. It's also one of those things that's vastly misunderstood poorly portrayed in the in the media, and even the name itself poorly describes what ADHD is really like. Uh, some people put the number of adult adults with ADHD at somewhere between 4 and 5%. I can't say for sure if those numbers are the same amongst the workforce, but in all likelihood, you have employees with ADHD, and if you don't, uh, you will. In addition to being misunderstood, these individuals routinely have difficulty with employment, at least I know I have, and those difficulties can mask their potential and capabilities. I'm very pleased to have with me today someone who knows a lot more about this than I do, Dr. J. Russell Ramsey, co-director, adult ADHD treatment and research program, associate professor of clinical psychology in psychiatry at the Perlman School of Medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. Dr. Ramsey received his PhD in clinical psychology from Palo Alto University, formerly known as Pacific Graduate School of Psychology, He completed an APA-approved pre-doctoral internship at CPC Behavioral Health in Red Bank, New Jersey, and a postdoctoral fellowship at the Center for Cognitive Therapy at the University of Pennsylvania, where he continues to work as a senior staff clinician. His achievements and accomplishments are too long to list here, but they are considerable. So I'm hoping that he can shed some light and expand awareness of this population of employees and how they can be best supported. Dr. Ramsey, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Jim, thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. There's a lot to talk about, uh, so I thought maybe we could start with just if you could give us a basic overview of what ADHD looks like across adults in the workforce. Well, you know what? Even jumping into it, ADHD is something I liken it to the Mark Twain quote about a classic book. It's a book everybody loves, but no one has read. And ADHD is one of those topics of, around which there are many opinions, but maybe not an agreed upon definition, at at least as it's discussed out in the community. So attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, people will say, well, is it ADD or ADHD? The formal diagnostic term now is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder with one of three presentations, the predominantly hyperactive impulsive type, the quintessential restlessness, but that's actually the rarest form. It's rare (laughs) that you have that feature without prominent attention difficulties. There is a predominantly inattentive type without the restlessness, but there's more the distractibility, uh, the poor sustained focus, and probably the most common presentation is a combination of both. Mm. Now, ADHD, the core symptoms defining it as defined by the Diagnostic and Statistical, Statistical Manual and the International Classification System, They're not bad. Inattention, degree of restlessness and movement and impulsive action and statements that are 
inappropriate for one's particular age group because there's a developmental expectation of one's self-regulation. But using that definition, colleague, expert, and I think he'd be okay with me classifying him as a friend and my namesake, Russell Barkley, (laughs) he said, calling ADHD an attention problem is like calling autism eye gaze disorder. It's an element of it. Right. But it doesn't capture the essence. So really the fields, just to uh, bring it back to um, what we're talking about with ADHD, it's really the field we're thinking about it, and, and this is backed up by research, it's really a developmental syndrome of uh, difficulties with self-regulation. Developmental syndrome meaning that even if it's not noticed until adulthood, with a thorough evaluation, you can usually trace back that people say, yeah, I wasn't failing out of school, but I struggled with this. I'm struggling with it at 28, and I struggled with it at eight years old, too, even if I was able to work around it because school really wasn't that hard. I had some good support. Our parents would structure my homework time or whatever the case may be. I could do my homework on my long bus ride to school. but And some, some people are identified in adulthood. I mean, excuse me, in childhood or adolescence, many people, it's not late onset, but we call it late identified that maybe they thought, okay, this is just my, not my thing, or I have a hard time uh, working before the last minute. But at some point, the coping strategies become unsustainable and it causes problems, then people might seek out the evaluation and support. So the self-regulation what are also becoming increasingly known in the uh, the popular literature as the executive functions. And those right. are pretty much the self-regulation skills, which are boiled down to one essence. How efficiently do you do what you set out to do? Now, this can include the have-tos like homework, occupational work, errands and administrative tasks at home. It can also include things that we want that aren't necessarily fun like exercise, or even a hobby that is a hassle to organize. Somebody might like fishing but or skiing, but it's really a hassle to organize everything, like getting the ski passes and you know getting the equipment down from the basement. So these are in a wide range of things, and, and even things we just want to do for fun that require some degree of organization. So it can really cut across, and that, that even the, the recreational side or the self-fulfillment side, that often gets short shrift, but ADHD gets in the way of that. But you know, we're here talking about the workplace. That the workplace is probably the adult version of the typical difficulties at school, even if it's not failing out or necessarily low grades. But what one of my colleagues described as working twice as hard for half as much in school, that can yeah. also get replicated in adulthood in the workplace. Yes, all that resonates so strongly with me. And and the fact, sort of the breadth of what you're talking about, I think really explains why it can be so difficult to identify because it impacts pretty much every aspect of your life. It impacts, can you show up on time? Impacts, are you going to get on task on time? How quickly will you be able to get back on task when you get inevitably get distracted or put onto something else? You know, how often are you going to get talk to because you hyper-focused on one thing and all these other things slipped by, you know, it, it's in your interpersonal relationships. It's that, that thing you said that you didn't mean to say, 
um, or you did mean to say, but you shouldn't have, <laughs> you knew it was wrong the second it slipped out. I mean, it just, it's every bit. And then all the stress that that causes amplifies things. And when you, you know, like you're talking about the recreation part, that's not a work thing, but it's also really important because you can't unwind if you're having stress about how you can't even do the thing that you like to do, you know? So it really affects every aspect, at least for me, uh, of life. So it's, it can be hard to tell, you know, what's up, what's up with that person over there? Or, you know, why are they struggling so hard? Because it looks like they're struggling in almost every single way. And building on what you, I, I think I couldn't say it better and building on what you said, what can be maddening for an individual as well as those around them. It goes back to the parents with the child or the teacher saying, but they can do so well in some settings or they can do this for so long and so well, why can't they do that thing that is much shorter? Or, you know, what I've called, and I'm sure others have called it, the consistent inconsistency. It's not yes. all or nothing. It's like, I had a really great day, but I don't trust I can replicate it tomorrow. Or, um, you know what, I was able to get started early and got the report done on time. And, but now the boss is expecting it every time. And I'm just not sure I know I can do it, but I'm not sure if it will unfold the same way next time. And that, that gets back to that self-regulation. And we are not talking about some robotic expectation that everybody shows up exactly on time, that people are calculating what's the risk factor for a highway breakdown today where it might delay me for work. So I will leave one, I will arrive at work one hour early every day, just in case. <laughs> no, there, there are variabilities. And what is tricky about the diagnosis of ADHD and using this, uh, the term, the executive functions for the self-regulation, we all have executive functions. This is just the human capacity for self-regulation, the behaviors that we do to ourselves to regulate ourselves. Setting an alarm clock is self-regulation. Yeah. But somebody in the midst of a major depressive episode without a history of ADHD, their executive functioning during the period of their depression will go down. Somebody with a sleep disorder, their executive functioning will go down. The difference is as the sleep improves and gets back to baseline, executive functions will get back to baseline. As the depression remits, executive functioning should get back to baseline. With ADHD, the baseline just seems to be a moving target or very context dependent. You know, there are some situations people go, I'm great in that circumstance and other ones, this is a nightmare for me. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, there's just so much to unpack, but it's one of those things that people with, I know people with ADHD are hard on themselves. I know they're more sensitive to criticism, probably because they've been criticized so many times, you know, and so a little thing, a tiny little thing, like, uh, for example, not being able to complete a small task. I, I find that I take things that I know I don't have to do and put importance on them and then put them off for like four months to be sort of like a, a, a catch-all for that kind of that kind of behavior for like a, a manager or supervisor seeing that in an employee someone that's that struggled with the tiniest little task that they didn't struggle with four times in a row and then blew up about it because you you criticized them or even tried to give them my least favorite thing um constructive criticism 
because mm-hmm. we still see it as criticism, right? As a deep fundamental uh, moral failing. And it's, I mean, they don't, they just don't know what to do with it. I've, I can't tell you how many supervisors I've watched struggle as I try and explain to them, like, I have ADD, this is what's going on, you know? And the good news is that if you have a good understanding of yourself, you can get through to people that are have a vested interest in you being successful at work. The bad news is not a lot of people actually have the understanding of it themselves. Right, right. And I'm hoping that, you know, it sounds like the work you do with this podcast and with more information getting out there, in addition to, I mean, one of the things about productivity in general is I will hear people without ADHD and I'm talking about what can be helpful for people with ADHD. And people will say, well, I do that too. That helps me. Well, absolutely. But it's just that it is more essential for somebody with ADHD and it's harder to implement. I mean, another example would be a ramp access to a building that is for designed for somebody with um, some sort of issues with mobility to have easier access. Say what, if I sprain my ankle, I might prefer to take that too. Or somebody without any injury says, "I'll, I'll take that over the stairs. So these are generalizable concepts, which one... Uh, in terms of tools and suggestions managers can have, and maybe even people can request or suggest, there are many things that can be helpful. So even, and being able to explore the the example that you gave, the source of a blow up, or at least as, as a manager may see it, an out of character, oh, this was, you know, this was the fifth time, the last four times this wasn't a problem. And even... And I know the innocent question, what's going on for somebody with ADHD, they have been asked that a lot of times. Having sat across, I'm a psychologist, so I can't prescribe meds, but I'm focused on the, the cognitive and behavioral therapy for ADHD, which very often involves the implementation of the coping strategies that we know will work. Um, right. There's no trade secrets, but breaking them down even further so they are more actionable. I mean, the grandmother rules, break a large task down into small steps, but actually doing that for a particular task and then building up the confidence and, and things like that. The cognitive piece is something you spoke to already, anticipating the criticism and actually maybe even being harder in one's own head than somebody else's. Another common thinking pattern is comparative thinking Nobody else seems to have to use a schedule as much as I do or have a to-do list like Dr. Ramsey suggests I do. Maybe not, but maybe you're not seeing what, you know, I've got my to-do list with me all the time. So it, it may be, but that, that is the, that sense that comes from past frustrations and the desire to do a good job. So bringing it back to what managers can do it is gaining a discussion of what could be helpful if it is one of these times, the one out of four times, maybe, maybe more, maybe less. And some common useful strategies, like I mentioned with a to-do list or a plan, it's externalization of information. Being able to see it, and this could be a, a time schedule of when is something due, 
externalization of time, visible mm. time pieces. I am not a technophobe. I'm not a Luddite. But if my phone is in my pocket, I could have my to-do list on my notepad feature, and it is pretty much everybody's watch anymore. Pretty much. I'm kidding around a little bit. <laughs> but if we're not checking it, we don't have a good sense of where am I at and where yeah. should I be? Where am I at in time and where should I be? So externalizing information and making things actionable, including a very, it is not an accommodation that necessarily has any cost other than maybe a time cost and time is money. So maybe there is cost there, but even if it's a regular check-in with an update on the status of a project, a monthly report, you know, weekly or whatever's called for of meeting with somebody, just that externalized knowing that I must report something doesn't change the, the project. And, and that in itself isn't the magic elixir, but it can be one way of, all right, I want to be able to report something. So there is a more immediate reinforcer, if you will, or at least consequence, uh, but also opportunity if we want to put a positive frame to do something and then check in and leave with an action plan. And within even the the other four days between meetings, there are ways... You know, ways to come up and break down the task into actionable steps akin to a recipe. Somebody who says, I can't cook, but if you broke it down to, well, can you get this pan out? Can you fill it with water? Can you do X? You can probably break it down into five actionable tasks. And this is behavioral, but it also gets to that cognitive piece you were talking about, the believability. Yes, I can see myself doing that. And yes. those can be the swing votes that help us get started rather than I have to work on the monthly report, which is broad, vague, and nonspecific, even if we do it every month. So it's just a couple tips for working with an employee with ADHD who probably has otherwise demonstrated their capacity for the job and their talent by getting hired. But it is that nuanced, akin to athletic coaching, it's adjusting the swing, adjusting the gymnastic routine, whatever sport we want to make uh, as the analogy. Um, getting down to the nitty gritty of what can help this person do the thing, uh, the task at work, and then demonstrate their the talents and gifts that led them to uh, achieve that job. Yeah, they, that's a, those are excellent advice. It's, you know, something I learned about myself was I have all this ability to accomplish work at work because I have to, especially since I'm in production, I have to deliver things at regular intervals. If I were to try and do something for myself that was as complicated, no, it's not going to happen mm-hmm. because there's no one to report to. I can give myself all the time in the world. I can say, ah, you know, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it next time. Uh, I'll do it after I'm done with whatever other project. And knowing that as a manager is really important that, you know, the difference between success and putting something off indefinitely is that that check-in, that milestone, whatever it is. And it's something that's probably going to be individual per employee since it's not, you know, it's not the same. And, and then the other thing is, is that for me anyway, if stuff is the same all the time, I get bored and I don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. There's that payoff you get early on, the feeling of accomplishment. If it becomes too regular, that vanishes. And then your, your impetus to complete the task vanishes too. There was a study of some high achieving adults with ADHD in the UK, uh, you know, six, and it, it was a qualitative study. They were interviewed, but what set them up for success, the novelty in their job. Yes. Now that can look different for different people in different jobs and different um, talents. Uh, 
as well as things that are hands-on. Now, even if something isn't necessarily hands-on, say writing, which we could argue that it's hands on the keyboard, but there, if it can be broken down into actionable steps, even something like, and you know, the very act of going to the workplace or a student going to the library with the intention of doing work or studying respectively, getting to the library doesn't mean you're actually going to study, but you've just exponentially increased the likelihood yes. and getting to the workplace where there are other people and we could say misery loves company, <laughs> but there are other people doing work. So there are interpersonal cues just like at the gym. And then if there are these relationships and the accountability, but not just the accountability, cause that can be a loaded phrase. Also that desire to, hey, I want to be a good teammate or I want to deliver something. This is part of the production team or whatever the case may be. That visible, tangible reminder, these are all ways to make it actionable. And the the notion of not, not, not necessarily even reporting to somebody else, but a study buddy or a workout partner. Okay, I don't feel like going to the gym, but I know um, my friend is waiting for me, so I have to yeah. regulate myself to get there. And even if it is, people will call it accountability partners, where they'll each check in in person, or it can be, you know, I'll help you on your project, you help me on mine. And this could be yard work or things outside of work. These are, you know what, it works on a couple different levels. If we're talking about productivity on the one side, as well as workplace satisfaction, and we underestimate, I think we all do. But especially with ADHD, for some of the reasons you mentioned, because there's so much about getting it done, there's not, you know, the focus on being done, but we underestimate the positive feeling associated with getting things done. And especially mm -hmm. with ADHD, because there's so usually so much front loaded discomfort associated with work and school. I liken it to the experience of food poisoning. You eat a food that presumably you've ordered, you like, you want to try. For some reason, it's tainted. And let's just say the body does you know, nauseated and it does what it needs to do to expel the toxin. Even if you're guaranteed the next time you are presented with that food, your, bot, your brain and body automatically will go, fool me once, shame on you, fool me <laughs> twice, shame on me. And it'll go through the whole feeling ill trying to protect you. And yeah. It's not perfect, but the analogy of, hey, school's, school's important. Moby Dick's a great book. It's a classic. You should enjoy it. Beowulf is a classic. Or, you know what, you want to do well on the job. And yes, we do. The higher order or the, the higher order parts of our brain are going, yeah, I want to do well at work. This is a way to maybe get a promotion. But the visceral level is going, ugh, this is going to be awful. And, and that's part of the and I'm putting words to what's a very visceral and emotional side. And that last point, uh, as I wrap up this run-on sentence, <laughs> emotions don't show up anywhere in the official diagnostic criteria for ADHD. But we yeah. now know that they are a core feature, not a mood or anxiety disorder, but the same stressful things we all approach every day. Oh, the monthly reports are due. I don't feel like doing it. Nobody ever is in the mood to do work. But most people can go, you know what, I'll get started after lunch, I'll get a little head start, my Friday's a little light, I'll work on it then. And more or less, we follow through and get it done by deadline. But that that wall is harder to get over because those visceral, aversive feelings are just stronger. 
and the escape patterns are more entrenched. And even if we escape to doing something else, all right, rather than doing that, I'll take care of this other work-related task. It's still work. And it is known as procrastivity, productive procrastination. We're not doing our Facebook profile. We're doing something else, but it's just lower priority. But at the end of the day, still handicaps ourselves when it comes back to the, the larger project. So we can be really sneaky with ourselves. So a lot of the coping strategies are trying to out-trick. <laughs> they are tricks to counteract the tricks that get us into trouble. And now a little bit of information about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Namely. Your HR platform should make your life easier. That's what Namely does. Namely is the all-in-one HR platform that employees and employers love. Namely is modernizing HR as we know it. Whether you have 50 or 1,000 employees, Namely is the HR solution that can grow with your company. With Namely's intuitive centralized platform, your employees can request PTO, update their benefits, review their pay stub. There's even a news feed where they can stay engaged and show appreciation for coworkers. Plus, Namely can handle everything related to payroll, simplify onboarding, and keep your company compliant, saving your HR team hours every week. Best of all, Namely specialists make switching headache-free, so you can move from your current HR platform, even a fully outsourced professional employer and organization, or PEO, to a more modern tech solution. Build a better workplace with Namely today, and for a limited time, get free implementation and PEO transition services when you make the switch from a PEO. Go to Namely.com today. That's Namely.com. And now, back to our episode. Yeah, I know all about that one. It's like, uh, I got this big project to do, so I guess I'll just check my email for six hours, you know, which I can't stand doing. But suddenly it becomes available to me because I I don't want to do this other big project. Yeah, it's much (laughs) less bad. And even with school, there's probably a rock, paper, scissors algorithm of, all right, I have this essay I have to write. Tell you what, I'll read the chapter now. I'm doing homework, but I'm doing it to avoid the writing, which I know needs more time. So, no, we, and we, again, we all do this. Right. The fancy phrase, the fancy, fancy phrase in my field right now is, well, it, it's, it's also accurate, but ADHD is a quantitative difference, not a qualitative difference. We, we, we all fall on this continuum, uh, and, and this is a little all or nothing, and, you know, because there can be different things where somebody, in terms of their, create, their creative work, they're, they're really efficient, but in, they don't get around to the small chore, um, or the athlete who's can pay, they're the goalie for the hockey team, and they can pay attention for the straight 60 minutes, but they can't do the, uh, in high school, they can't do the two-page weekly reader. So... But we fall in this continuum. So ADHDs, if you will, at the far end of the continuum, an imperfect analogy, whereas something like, and and this is just a, a, a different category and, and it, it, we could, you know, somebody could probably have a discussion about this and how to work around this, but somebody who might experience manic episodes, that's a qualitatively different mood state. I, I mean, still bipolar disorder can be managed and people are very highly successful, you know, yeah. taking taking care of that aspect. But it, it's with, with ADHD, that's why people say, oh yeah, I do to-do lists. I have a planner. This this could work for me. To my knowledge, I don't have ADHD, but in helping people with this and the cognitive behavioral therapy, I use them myself. And you know, we know they work. Like I said before, there's no trade secrets, but it's matching the skills to the person, to the situation. All right. How do I work on the monthly report? I'll get stuck on that example. 
so I can get it done by the deadline. But hopefully what happens, because many people described, yeah, I would pull all-nighters at school to finish a paper and rush to hand it in, wishing I had more time. Well, the other side of it is hopefully more consistently demonstrating gifts and talents and okay, I'm confident that the report will be done on time. Now I can really spice it up. Or I just mm. thought about something I want to project or I'm making up stuff now, but it's not just getting it done. It's saying, I'm happy putting it to my name to this report. This puts me in a positive light. Doing not just getting things done, but doing good work, including stuff in, like we said, the recreation or things that we want to do for our own well-being or interest as well as work. Something that yeah, you know, that we're gonna have to get around to. So might as well be now. One of the the things you were talking about reminded me of when I was having skepticism by people about whether I had ADD or not. Is that as I try and explain it to them, it's exactly that to say, well, you know, yeah, I, I get distracted, or sometimes I describe it as, you know, when you're doing a task and you get to that point where you just can't do it anymore, you get like a visceral feeling. I know everybody gets that. Mm-hmm. I if without medication, I get that all the time about everything permanently you know so yeah you know what it is but people that don't have adhd that's a sometimes thing not an all the time thing and and it's it i think it leads to combined with a lot of the negative portrayal in the media kind of an automatic understanding that maybe adhd isn't real maybe someone's faking it maybe they're just lazy can't tell you how many times i i got called that you know and it's infuriating of course uh, upsetting but it's also really doing a huge disservice to people that genuinely have the disorder and are trying to be taken seriously as professionals. They have the, they have the, the skills, they have the talents, they have the capabilities, they're probably creative, and they're being held back because of a misperception of what the, what's really going on with them. So, you know, a lot of the strategies we've talked about today have been for people that know their employees have ADD and that they're the kinds of managers and leaders that are willing to work with people um, on, on their terms. There's a whole other segment of people that don't know they have ADD. That means their employers don't know they have the ADD. And then there's people that have ADD that don't tell anybody because of the stigma. And their employers also don't know. So the question becomes, how do we get how do we get employers to understand that ADD is something that you can successfully have in your successful employees? You know, it's something that it's real you're gonna encounter it and and it's okay, I guess, is my poorly formed question. <laughs> no, and it's a great it's a great and challenging question. You know, even even going back a step to what you described about, you know, people saying, Well, that happens to me too, and I don't have ADHD, it can't be that bad. You know, around uh, around the time of recording this, there have been some pretty significant storms with a lot of wind. Well, hmm. people can talk about wind where it's sort of like blowing a blanket at a picnic and it's like, yeah, that wind was really disruptive. And, you know, comparing that to gale force winds. So it's really, and and this goes back to, yes, it will feel familiar to a lot of people. Yes, I do that too. But with the deadlines, it's usually either people saying, no, I miss deadlines or I run out of time or I sacrifice sleep. (laughs) I've had people say, everybody thinks I'm so motivated because I stay at the office till seven or eight at night, but I'm just trying to catch up on everything I didn't get done during the day because I really didn't get started doing work till after lunch or whatever. So it can look one way, but it's actually hidden. And that's sort of the hidden cost. So I think things like this discussion are a way to 
get the information out there. And there are some good guides about some of the, the coping skills I touched on very briefly, because it's not just throwing yeah. a planner at somebody or saying, here's an index card, have a to-do list. Because people, people have had that. I, when I'm working with people, I will tell them, <laughs> if we're talking about procrastination and all I say is, you know what, you really need right. to start earlier, sue me for malpractice, please. Because you know that ADHD is not a knowledge problem, it's a performance problem. And so, if you will, the coping guide, yeah, there'll be the description of, all right, let's break it down into recipe form. Here's how to do a planner or a to-do list and here's how it's supposed to function. And here's how you take the item on the to-do list and actually implement it in real time because the to-do list is the reminder, writing it down isn't doing it. You know, these implementation steps and, and there are some things that, you know, really work. Another thing is, yeah. you mentioned some people may and maybe correctly decide, I'm not sure how my workplace is going to respond. I'm going to keep it to myself. Well, on both sides, there are ways to ask for accommodations. I have a really hard time with these uh, long deadline uh, related projects over time. It would be really helpful for me mm -hmm. if I could have weekly or biweekly check-ins with you just to track how I'm doing that I can report in. Is that something we can do without even saying the letters ADHD? And similarly, on the other side, if a supervisor or whomever sees somebody struggling, even engaging in a discussion is, hey, is there something that might be helpful getting this work done, whatever it might be. Right. More frequent check-ins with somebody is a common one in the workplace. And uh, other than time, isn't that costly? Like for people who struggle with writing, because writing is organizing the idea. There's also the typing and the expressing it, which for some people is pretty natural, but a lot can get lost. And even voice activated software, there, there are some, and it may even come with some existing platforms already, and it's not any special thing you have to add anymore. Right. There are some workarounds for that where you don't have to out somebody as ADHD if they don't want to be. Now, there is a, I'm a psychologist, and <laughs> you know, don't prescribe meds. After the ADHD, ADD thing, that's the other question. Hey, are, can you prescribe meds or not? Mm. No, I'm a psychologist. That's no meds. There is a related emerging field called uh, adult ADHD coaching. And in an all too brief nutshell, it really focuses on, you know, just like we do in the cognitive behavioral therapy, but, you know, being a psychologist, I'm also trained to treat the depression and anxiety that might come along with it. ADHD coaches really specialize in ADHD and about pretty much the executive functioning workarounds and accommodation. And as, as at least to date, it is not a licensed profession yet. Like I, I had to, I'm licensed in Pennsylvania and in New Jersey, but there's a great flexibility and some people have hired coaches to go with them to work and, you know, help set up their workstation to reduce distractions. Asking for accommodations, like, I, I don't know if you've experienced this in, in any of these, these podcasts, but for <laughs> yes. many, if not most adults with ADHD, the idea behind the open work plan can be a yeah. nightmare. You know, because some people, at least with some tasks, may benefit from a closed door office, at least to do a writing task or something to reduce the distractions, even if it's getting distracted by somebody getting up and moving around. So... Now, with some of my colleagues and friends who are uh, adult ADHD coaches who would really like to take some of their services into the workplace, 
Now I'm hearing this from the coaches. I don't know if this is, I'm not a business psychologist, but one of the, maybe the, the reservations of employers is, all right, if we, if people start identifying they have ADHD, now we're mandated to address it. Now, some of this came up several years ago before the neurodiversity movement moved forward. And I think there is more of a push. And I think some of the larger companies, and I think there are some consulting groups available to discuss how to, and, and, and I think it would be fair to say there, there are multiple special accommodations that could be beneficial, but I would bet there was a study they they would cluster around to some degree the executive functions how efficiently do you do what you set out to do which includes the emotional regulation impulse control self-motivation and motivation in executive function terms and this is taken almost word for word from russ barkley it's the ability to generate an emotion about a task in the absence (laughs) of an immediate consequence to make yourself feel enough like doing the monthly yeah. report when nobody in their right mind ever wants to do a monthly report. Yes, you know what? We're professional. We want to do a good job, but it is still work. We want to do exercise, but it's a hassle. We want the results without, and we're, we're not lazy. That's one final point I want to make here, but I'm, I'm happy to extend it if there's other, like, what about this in terms of workplace? Because I think those are the challenging questions. How can we take this knowledge and science um, into the workplace to actually help people and I'll have one add on there, but you mentioned about what people with ADHD have heard enough before in their life, even the constructive criticism, it's never constructive. I'm kidding, but it's still criticism. And even somebody, the first pass, you're going to, it's going to feel like a gut punch, but hopefully we can hold on to it and remember it. One of the early popular books on adult ADHD was called, you mean I'm not stupid, lazy, or crazy. I might have yeah. the order of the words there, but I think that still resonated and it crystallized that that was the inner thoughts of a lot of people. I must be stupid if I keep waiting until the last minute. I must be lazy if everybody else is getting this done and I'm doing I'm doing these other things and I had all day to do this and I didn't do it. But it's often that was to capture the undiagnosed adult ADHD. And there is research looking at productivity associated with workers with ADHD. And there was a study published about 2005. I think the ages were about 18, people in the workforce, 18 to 44, and about Mm 4.4% of the U.S. work population, at least estimated from that sample, were estimated to have ADHD, which is about the prevalence rates for the general population. But there's also reduced Mm -hmm. um, productivity, and they were putting dollar amounts on it. And Increased yeah. absenteeism, yeah. missing work. It's, you know, when you talk about sort of the uh, the compliance aspect, that is something that, you know, I think once it was, as an HR practitioner, it's you don't want to know the disabilities that your employees have, especially if it's not a visible disability. Because if you don't know, then when you accidentally discriminate against them or God forbid, purposely discriminate against them, um, although we don't talk about that, it uh, it's gonna blow up in your face because they can, when they bring in their lawyer, then the EOC is talking to everybody. They can say, you knew I had it. So when you said that thing, you were purposely being discriminatory. I think it's that's still a thing, of course. That's like the nuts and bolts of HR, but there's an understanding that if you want to engage your incredibly diverse workforce and you want to give them the tools they need to succeed, you have to at some point broach that 
that line and learn about who your who your population is. If it's maybe it's through getting them to self-report, and then having a system in place that actually supports them when they do. You know, it's not just ADD. It's it's people uh, on the spectrum. It's people you know with depression, with chronic depression, with with severe anxiety. You know, these are things that you can hide for a while. Um, mm-hmm. And but it's doing nobody any good, you know. And, and there's there's a growing cadre of HR professionals and leaders out there that understand if you can support these people and and, and be open and honest with them, they're they're not going to sue you because you just supported them. Why would they sue you? Most people don't want to sue you, you know. And especially a person with ADD is not going to sue you because I don't want to. I don't even know where to get a lawyer. I got to call somebody and set an appointment, a bunch of stuff. If you support me, I will do good work for you. Uh, and and I'm. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the stuff I have to go through just to get medication is outrageous. Um, <laughs> without without added stuff, but it's just you know, and that's really that's really where we're at. So like, I'm always encouraging people make a plan to support people that have whatever it is. It shouldn't be this person or that person. It should be every person that walks into your door has a place to belong, and you have some sort of way to make them feel like they belong. Right, right. And you know what, the nice thing, um, and you know what, uh, one thing with, we were talking about the cues of being at the workplace. This is one thing with the understandable work from home to adapt to the lockdowns during uh, you know, COVID, but it shed a light on that because all of a sudden there were, if nothing else, you know, somebody being alone at home working without the cues and and it might be great not having to commute to work, but not having those cues and support <laughs> and, you know, somebody at your desk having a break with you and says, okay, I have to get back to work. And that's sort of like, yeah, I guess I should too. You know, it maybe for some people who hadn't been identified at first and things that they were working really hard, you know, twice as hard for half as much to cover up. And maybe that was the breaking point. But I think the encouraging thing, there are models, and I think with the um, neurodiversity consultants, and there are, all it's going to take is a few partnerships. I mean, probably more than this, but it's my hopeful view. Um, to have some models that work. And like you said, the employers, the employees, every everybody wants, we want to finish our work. We want to have a positive experience. It's easier to stay employed. And you know, even uh, circling back to something you said about the laziness, most people I've worked, I believe that there's laziness, but I, I'd say virtually all the adults with ADHD I've worked with, they're working harder than most people, like longer hours, it's harder stuff, and that desire to do well, and mostly what they're asking yeah. for, it's not, even with medications, it's not, oh, I want an easy way out. I just want some sort of predictable cause and effect. If I put in the four hours on the monthly report, that I can finish it on time and it'll be good enough. Knowing that you can accomplish something means you will accomplish it. Or at least the other way, not knowing how to get to the end means you almost certainly won't. You know, I need to get all my ducks in a row before I approach approach a project. And that doesn't guarantee I'm going to finish the project, but I definitely won't if I don't know how to do every step or I don't have all the resources that I need. It can be little teeny little things like I, I work uh, with wooden projects and I, you know, I do a lot of stuff with my hands. If I don't have that one bracket, whatever it is, I'm not going to start working 
until I go get that bracket. I could have spent four hours doing everything I need to right up until the moment I knew that bracket, but I'm just not going to start because I can't envision a path to the end. And if I can't envision a path to the end, uh, what's, I'm not going to be able to pour any kind of energy into it at all. So that's a really important point, technologically capable. Right, right. One of my clients, one of my clients, he talked about, like I was asking him how the medications were, and he said, you know what? I can hear the distractions, but they don't pull me away. Like his thing, like if he didn't, oh, he had a, like a, a minivan, and if he didn't like click in the seat belt, if nobody was in the front seat, it would whap against the door, and he said it would turn him into a rape. And he said, like, after on the medications, I heard it was still whapping, but it, it didn't bother me. It, it is the little things, the tiniest little things. Like the, the way that I organize is that any, anything that I use the most has to be visible and in front of everything else, which is not the best way to organize something space-wise. My wife is a spatial organizer, you know, like a normal person. So every, all the dishes fit inside each other. That's great. But I use that little bowl all the time. And if it's inside four of their bowls, mm -hmm. this drives me crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and it, it is, it's a variation of that externalization of information and even motivation. And that could be like the calendar, the countdown, and even reframing time into, oh, this isn't due till November. That's really far yeah. away. Yeah, but how many days is November away if it's like 60 days now or something like that? Or you know, I guess that might actually be right on the money. It's only 60 days. Right. And that's different than, oh, November, that's fall. That's almost Thanksgiving. But it's really not that, and we're in, still in summer. No, it's not that far away. Hmm. And I, I would say probably the best timepiece, uh, not the best, but this is for effect, would be an hourglass with sand and seeing, seeing time drain and you go, oh, there's only that much Yeah, it's one left. of the interesting things of being a professional is that an hour when I was a kid felt like an impossible long amount of time, especially before I was properly medicated, especially if it was in a car ride or whatever. Now I know I'm not going to get anything done in an hour. That's... That's in, I can get some stuff done, but I might as well not even try. It's such an impossibly small amount of time. The passage of time is one of those things that really is part and parcel, as you've mentioned, with, with having ADD to the point where it becomes kind of an obsession. You have to be obsessed with it or else it just doesn't work out. And uh, I'm one of the most punctual people I know because I have to be. Like, there's no choice. It, if I didn't do that, the whole world would just come unraveled and all fall apart. You yep. know? Um, I think, I mean, there's endless amounts of stuff to talk about, you know, but I think maybe we can end with what advice do you have for HR people specifically as they try and get a handle on, you know, now in the context of our discussion, because I kind of asked you the same question in the beginning, get a handle on this ADHD thing you know, going forward, what's a step they can take today, uh, a step they can take tomorrow towards improvement? In terms of improving things, a lot of it will come from, uh, or uh, one source would be like any books on ADHD or online materials that help break it down a little more apart from the A and the H, that executive functioning model. And hmm. that is becoming a broader model. There is a, a series of books across the lifespan called Smart But Scattered which is focused on the executive functions without necessarily being about ADHD. But the reason that would be a suggestion is that is a different way to see in our discussion, ADHD, 
but also it's a different way to see and, if you will, diagnose productivity issues at work. So if it is poor time management, poor organization, now all of a sudden there are things that, okay, maybe there are solutions for this. Is this, have we broken the task down into small enough increments? Mm -hmm. Um, Is everybody clear on the increments? Because maybe people aren't asking the questions because they don't want to look like they don't know, but now then they're going to get stuck and procrastinate because they go, I'm not hundred percent sure what I should be doing, but I can't ask. And that's sort of those hit that handcuffed thoughts of, but um, bringing it back yeah. and um, you know, increased meetings or engaging people. Like, what do you think will help? And, and reasonable, reasonable accommodations. I, I've worked with people where, you know, I'd say, Hey, if somebody in your office had a child and they had to drop them off at daycare, but daycare didn't open up till nine o'clock. And, and what, should they be granted flexible hours? You can arrive by 10 and stay till six. Well, you know, if you want to ask for, Hey, my medications right. don't kick in until whatever time, is it okay if I come in late? And this goes back to the right of to disclose or not, but there could be some other reason given. I'm not a proponent of lying, but just saying, you know, I, I don't work as well in the yeah. morning. Would it be acceptable for us to try a, I arrive at 10, stay till six, try it for three months and see how that works. Um, and here, here's how it benefits you. Here's how it benefits me. And looking for those sorts of solutions. And this could be ADHD or not, but like looking for what the problem is, what's a way to yes. more directly. Address yes, I've seen that one too. Um, and don't just give this one last bit. Don't just give them more time because we know how that movie ends. It's just, it's, it's like pulling your fingernails out when someone, we need that time, what that timeline, we need that deadline. That's what motivates us to get something done. Uh, it's not that we run out of time. It's that we wait until the last minute to do the thing. <laughs> so if you give us 10 more hours, that's just gonna be 10 more hours of agony of not accomplishing it until the last minute anyway. So, <laughs> Don't do, don't do that. Well, Dr. Ramsey, thank you very much for, for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, listeners, we're always interested in suggestions that you might have for what HR Works should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HR Works Podcast with your suggestions of any thoughts or concerns you might have about the podcast. Feel free to say hi. Tell us how we're doing. Um, we're also now available on Spotify and Audible. Uh, so basically, you can find us anywhere that podcasts can be found. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.